0: The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network.
1: There's a new article in the My Jewish Learning website talking about Messianic Jews. Did they get things right, wrong, or mixed? Coming your way from our Fort Worth studio, great to be with you. Here's a number to call with your Jewish-related questions, 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-348-7884. Any question that relates to the Jewish people, Jewish literature, anything that relates to Israel today, fulfillment of Messianic prophecy, Jewish background to the New Testament, questions about the Messiahship of Jesus. If you're a Jewish person... And you disagree with me in my faith, by all means, give us a call. I can't promise what your tone will be, but I promise we'll be civil on this end. 866-348-7884. A friend in Israel sent me a, a couple of articles. Actually, uh, in Bethlehem, sent me a couple of, of articles. Uh, yes, Bethlehem, part of Israel, but just being more specific, saying Bethlehem. Uh, sent me a couple of articles that I want to get into a little later. One about... It seems to be a rising tide of anti-Semitism in the publishing industry, and then uh, some concerns about real threat to Israel growing from Iran, not just in Iran but surrounding Israel. We'll come to that. But I regularly get emails from the My Jewish Learning website. I found it to be a very helpful website. A lot of excellent articles, excellent information there. So I got a link, and it was the lead article was about Messianic Jews. So. I don't know if it was a brand new article or if it's just being circulated now, but it's the first that I saw it. So I've written to my Jewish learning website just through the general contact portal. Uh, I know at least one other Messianic Jewish colleague has written in. Hopefully we can have helpful dialogue because there is a lot of misinformation in the article. I assume that that, uh, Tamar Fox, who wrote the article was doing her best to present things in a fair and honest way. But for whatever reason, there's a lot of misinformation. So I want to go through the article with you. And let me first say that the term Messianic Jew can be used in two different ways. Broadly, it refers to any Jewish believer in Jesus. And it's a term that we found helpful because to refer to yourself as a Jewish Christian can sound oxymoronic to many. In fact, uh, when I was doing uh, an outreach with Jews for Jesus years ago, they were doing outreach in the city of Pittsburgh, I believe it was. And I was coming in to do a debate with my friend Rabbi Shmuley in the midst of the outreach. So they had these these uh, banners out or these billboards out all over the city. And they played into this Jews for Jesus thing. And, and it's like, what, isn't that like vegans for meat, Jews for Jesus? How can that be? Well, when you say Jewish Christian... What does that mean? Someone said, well, you're a Jew or a Christian because of potential misunderstanding there. So to say Messianic Jew, that puts us in a certain category. And then say in a country like Israel, if you say, I'm a Messianic Jew, then you can even explain, okay, what does that actually mean? Because other Jews believe in the coming of the Messiah, what do you mean by that? Um, So that's the broader definition, Messianic Jew, Jewish believers in Jesus. The more narrow definition, is those who attend a messianic jewish congregation and believe in the importance of living a jewish lifestyle to this day so that's the narrow definition so both definitions get blurred together here and it's understandable so i'm I'm not faulting just trying to help so the article begins by saying this again this is on the my jewish learning website who are messianic jews and start reading the beginning of the article messianic judaism a branch of which is Jews for Jesus. No, that's false. Jews for Jesus is not really a branch of Messianic Judaism. Jews for Jesus is an outreach to Jewish people, and many of the believers there would not consider themselves practitioners of Messianic Judaism as much as Jewish followers of Jesus. So again, that's kind of blending the two things incorrectly there. Messianic Judaism, a branch of which is Jews for Jesus, is a religious group that has tried to straddle the line between Judaism and Christianity. All right. that's a... That's a fair way of her seeking to say it. We'd say it otherwise, but it's a fair way of her presenting it. According to this group, Jesus or, or Yeshua in Aramaic was the Messiah, and he died on behalf of the world's sins. Correct. They also believe that the Jews are the chosen people. Correct doesn't mean automatically saved, but chosen for a mission. And that the explicit laws of the Torah, such as observing Shabbat holidays and circumcision, must be obeyed today. That's inaccurate as well there are some Messianic Jews who would use the word must. There are other Messianic Jews who are part of Messianic congregations who say should. And then Messianic Jews more broadly, speaking of the largest number, most of which are in churches, would not agree with that. So some hold to that. Others simply say there should be some Jewish markers and identity. And others say, hey, we are Jews, but we are in Jesus. So the origins of this group can be traced back to the Hebrew Christian missions to the Jews in the 19th and early 20th centuries, but the 1960s and 70s Messianic Judaism gaining popularity, known by many as the Jesus people and eventually Jews for Jesus. Okay, this is a paragraph with with a lot of things that are mixed up in it. Again, I don't say this to be critical. I'm glad that she wrote the article, but just trying to set the record straight and reached out privately with no response thus far, saying, hey, there's some factual errors. Can we help you correct them? So first... Of course, we would say our faith goes back to the faith of the apostles. They were all Messianic Jews, right? All of the, the apostles and first believers were Jews who believed in Yeshua, and they continued to live as Jews. And no one then disputed whether they were Jews or not. They disputed whether what they believed was true and accurate or not. But that's the first thing. More In the more modern way, yes, the Hebrew Christian movement, as that grew and there was more of a focus on Jewish lifestyle, etc., And then the 60s and 70s is when things really exploded, especially in the 70s. Now, the Jesus people, that's not about being Jewish. The Jesus people movement, which began around 67 and went to the mid-70s at its height, uh, I came to faith in 71, 50 years ago, in the middle of that Jesus people movement. That's Jews, Gentiles, hippies, radicals, rebels all around the world getting radically born again. That's what that is. It just happened to be in the midst of it, there were many Jews. All right, that, and if you look back at the early Jews for Jesus tracks, you'll see a lot of them look kind of like hippie psychedelic tracks because a lot of us got saved out of that lifestyle. All right, because of Messianic Judaism and identification with Jesus, all of the major denominations of Judaism, Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, Reconstructionists, have rejected Messianic Judaism as a form of Judaism. That's correct. Some will still recognize individual Messianic Jews as Jews, most all will still recognize us here. You're still Jewish, even though you believe in Jesus. When I was baptized, the local rabbi told my father, well, your son is now a baptized Jew. So most, except for some very, very Orthodox would agree, yes, you were still Jews. Yes, it's true. In terms of a movement, by and large, the exception of some rabbis here and there, by and large, all of the major Jewish denominations do not recognize Messianic Judaism as a legitimate form of Judaism. I understand why. Within Christianity, Messianic Judaism is sometimes seen as a group within the evangelical community and sometimes seen as a separate sect. By and large, Messianic Jews are recognized as part of the larger body, and most Messianic Jews are in churches, actually, not in Messianic congregations. At times, various Christian leaders have publicly criticized Messianic Jews for their aggressive missionizing in the Jewish community and for misrepresenting themselves as Jews. Okay, number one, number one, The Christian leaders who've criticized us for reaching out to our own people tend to be liberal and progressive Christians who would hardly believe much of the Bible the way we believe it. As for uh, those criticizing us for misrepresenting ourselves as Jews, we are Jews. We are Jews. You say, no, no, but I heard about this guy who was a Gentile and living in Israel now and claiming to be an Orthodox rabbi. Oh, that's, that's a totally separate, that's completely aberrant. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. There have been a few cases like this in the news recently, but that's that's not who we are, that's not what we do. Uh, Messianic Judaism is often presented as an ethnic church for Jews, somewhat like a Korean or Chinese church, but with outreach specific to Jews. However, most experts estimate that in most Messianic Jewish congregations, only about half of the members were born Jews. Yeah, Messianic congregations would call themselves congregations rather than churches, so it's not to be confusing there because church can have a lot of baggage with it, that concept, right? Yeah, but that's, there's some truth to that saying, yeah, we're still Jews, therefore we worship as Jews. And, and the Sabbath never changed, so we celebrate the Sabbath, etc. M- many would say that, and that's a fair way of saying it from, from the outsider perspective. But this idea that most of on congregations, only about half the members were born Jews. In America, that's, that's not accurate. It's less than that. It's less than that. The average Messianic congregation in America is maybe 30 percent Jewish, unless you're in a major Jewish city, in which case the number will be much higher. So most of the people in Messianic congregations are Gentile Christians who want to connect with the Jewish roots of the faith. Non-Jews who join a Messianic congregation may be asked to undergo a kind of conversion to Messianic Judaism. In some cases, maybe to come into leadership, but in the vast majority of cases, that's, that's not it. You come in as a Gentile Christian who, who loves the Jewish people. Although many within the group believe that it's impossible to convert to Judaism, Messianic Jewish conversions are not considered valid by any Jewish denomination. That's true. Non-Jews who join Messianic congregations are something called spiritual Jews, completed Jews, or Messianic Gentiles. False about spiritual Jews, false about completed Jews. That's how some of us have referred to ourselves as Jewish believers. Messianic Gentiles, yes, some use that phrase, so that's correct. Messianic Jews include the New Testament in their canon, correct, and believe that there is foreshadowing and prediction of Jesus in the Old Testament, correct. Supersessionism, the belief that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise made by God to the Jews in the Tanakh, is accepted by Messianic Jews. False, 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 big false. Supersessionism is the view that the church has superseded Israel. Supersessionism is replacement theology. Supersessionism says that Jesus does not confirm the promises to the patriarchs. He cancels them. We all reject supersessionism. By believing in Jesus as the Messiah, we believe God reinforces his promises to Israel. And it is ultimately a Jewish Jerusalem that will welcome the Messiah back and that the gospel must go through all nations and to Israel for the end to come. We reject the idea that the promises once given to Israel in the Old Testament now apply exclusively to the church. So that's a big misunderstanding. But like on other, unlike other Christian groups that believe in superstitionism, Messianic Jews maintain a desire to practice many of the commandments given in the Torah. The last part of that is true, but again, we don't believe in su- supersessionism, And it goes on, Messianic Judaism believers adhere to some of the laws given in to the Torah, such as resting on Shabbat, not eating pork and selfish, observing biblical holidays like Sukkot and Passover. However, the faith does not adhere to rabbinic law and eschews the authority of the mission and the Talmud. You have a very, very small segment of Messianic Jews that believes in rabbinic authority outside of rabbinic views on Jesus. But that's, that is fringe, and that is something most of us strongly speak against. All right, we come back. I'll drop more in this article, and then I want to go straight to your calls and then get into some of those other articles. 866 348 7884.
2: It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: There
2: we go.
1: Waiting for that Thoroughly Jewish music, Thoroughly Hebrew music on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Uh, You know what? I'm going to come back to this article in a minute. Uh, and take some calls first. So let's go over to Jay in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thanks for calling the line of fire.
3: Hey, thank you very much, Dr. Brown. Uh, I'm a pastor in the Raleigh area. Just finished preaching through Job, the faith that challenged God.
1: Come on. Um,
3: it's been, it's been great. I got it. Of course, I have, uh, it was no, you uh, have your signature in my book. So I got it in the book that I have because I got it from you at the conference, SES conference. So I now want to preach through Isaiah. The Church wants me to do that. But I'm a pre-mill post-trib, and I'm fully in the court of the role of, Is- of I- uh, Israel in their prophecy as you are preaching. Thank you for your ministry, by the way. Can you recommend, please, for me, a good commentary on Isaiah that I can preach through?
1: Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. I am in the early stages, just in the eighth chapter now of my own commentary on Isaiah, which will be a much longer one than the Job commentary. And so I'm, I'm immersed in it whenever there's time, day and night, with stacks of commentaries on my desk and behind me in my study, and then all kinds of commentaries on my, uh, on my computer. All right. So <laughs> this is... You know, on the one hand, I could I could rattle off one after another, after another, after another. But let me let me just suggest a few things. Okay. Yes. Uh, all right. And and the eschatological breakdown it's it's not going to intersect all that much. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're not you're not going right. to have a lot of. Co- it's not like you're reading the Book of Revelation or something like that, or a commentary on the Olivet discourse in in yeah. in, in the Gospels. So that that eschatology is not going to intersect as much but you will right. have some who are strongly amillennial and you'll read their commentaries and, and it, it'll feel and come out different. But um, yeah. the the commentary of Franz Dalich in the uh, Kylan Dalich commentary on the Old Testament, which is, re- you still get the whole set of physical volumes, but it's readily available, super inexpensive online, Kylan Dalich, yeah. so it's D-E-L-I-T-Z-S-C-H, for those not familiar. Uh, the his commentary on Isaiah was really a classic. Here and there it gets a little dense with philology, uh, but he's got a lot of great spiritual insights, and and that's one I always enjoyed over the years. There's another one by J. A. Alexander from from uh, 1800s as well. But if you just get one from back then, the Dalich commentary is still worth still worth going through. Um, if if I'm looking at more recent evangelical commentaries as opposed to technical critical commentaries uh, john hartley on isaiah and new international commentary on the old testament is very solid again um, I, I would land everywhere where he lands on text but but very solid he's learned it and and it's it's a good exposition of the text so it, it's it's academic uh if you want one a little more popular very edifying, then J.A. Motyer, M-O-T-Y-E-R. I believe his name is pronounced differently than I pronounced it. That would be a really good, more popular one. So good scholarship behind it, but written on a more popular level. That might be the easiest one to preach through. He has two versions of it, one in the Tyndale series and one that's independent. I think the independent one is the larger one. But if I just had to get one for preaching through, uh, it's great, it's Christ-centered, he outlines the flow of things very nicely. He's got a good literary feel. Uh, if I want to get more in depth into the background scholarship, digging deeper into the Hebrew, then uh, uh, then then Hartley. Uh, if if I wanted to go, um, excuse me, Hartley. That's Job. What am I saying, Hartley? Oswald. Excuse me. Every time I'm saying it, it's like, what am I talking about? John Oswald. Sorry about that. John Oswald in the New International Commentary in the Old Testament. Uh, and then, if you just want to get some rich reading from the 1800s, Dalich. So, if if you have those, you'll you'll be you'll be well served.
3: Wonderful. How do you spell Macher again?
1: Uh, M O T Y E R. And there are two. M-O-T-Y-E-R. Either one is fine. Yeah, M O T Y E R J A Macher. Either either of the the two that he has will will be fine. Again, there's a massive amount of literature in Isaiah. And I own a lot, a lot of it. I keep yeah. running out of room with more things. Hey, one quick, one quick question uh, for you. Uh, in terms of using Job as a pastor, my my Job commentary, I'd love to know uh, how how it helped you, in what way it served you as as a commentary as a pastor.
3: This was great. Uh, I had several people ask uh, for me to do this, and I told them about you. Um, it has to do with Job and suffering, and he challenged God, and he was still the hero of the story. Mm. I used this to rescue my daughter, who is oh, is a very um, uh, life a tough lifestyle, and when she realized that Job came out of the other end as the 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 prophet after challenging God all the way through, this was part of her conversion process to. Get out of Wicca and to abandon, we'll say, a, uh, a lifestyle that uh, she needed to, to g- give up. And uh, so I want to thank you. Cause oh, it, my. The, um, she was in it for 15 years. I lost her. Um, and she recently came back. Oh, come on. And um, um, she's, um, she's in the LGBTQ community and um, decided that, well, uh, we said a prayer that God would uh, remove the evil forces from her and protect her from evil forces. It happened, uh, I, I prayed that it would be, uh, protect my home as she visited. As she walked through the door, the uh, evil spirits left her, and she asked if I could help her uh, come to know Jesus again. And uh, our conversation was centered around Job and the, uh, the, the, the position the, from the perspective that Job, challenged God so radically, and in the end, he was the prophet. And this, this helped her emotionally and mentally and spiritually to see that because she has had all these questions about, God, is he good, and why is the problem of evil and the problem of suffering? Mm-hmm. So when I did, I did my sermon series on this, that was the highlight of notice how Job, Job challenges God and is, is bringing out all these issues of suffering. And then, in the end, uh, after that, I, I did a, a sermon just on the problem of suffering and Job, and then another sermon on the problem of suffering and, and answering that. But uh, Job is key to this whole presentation.
1: Oh, praise God. What, what, what an unexpected story. And I so rejoice with you and your family yes. and your daughter. Fifteen years, all the prayers, all the tears, yes. all the pain that she lived through. Wonderful. Hey, yes. it would be a joy one day, face to face, to meet you and your daughter. I hope we get to do it in this world and don't have to wait for the world to come. But thank you right. for sharing that. I rejoice with you. you and your daughter. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. All right. 866 34 Truth. Uh, boy, that was, that was absolutely unexpected to, to hear that. Praise God for his grace and his goodness. Hey, all of you who pray for our ministry, you're part of that. You're part of that testimony. All of you who contribute to our ministry, you're part of that. All of you who share our materials with others, you're, you're all part of this story. So thank you for, for standing together and helping us make a difference. Wow. Praise God. What a joy to hear that. Uh, let us go over to Andy in Chicago. Uh, hang on. I am just having an issue with my computer here, if somebody somewhere on our team could put Andy on the air, that would be great because my screen, for some strange reason, is not responding. So if we can get Andy on the air... Tell you what, while we work on that, let's, let's just wait a minute. Let me go back and finish up this article about Messianic Jews, uh, and we can separate some fact from, from fiction there. Um, the article... In my Jewish learning talks about missionary activity, core component of Messianic Judaism is witnessing and missionizing to other Jews. Absolutely. Those who are not saved, same what we ever believe about Jews who don't believe in Jesus. What happens in the end is the same. We believe that Gentiles Jews who don't believe in Yeshua who reject him suffer the same fate and thus helping to bring someone to Yeshua, thus to salvation is a responsibility of all Messianic Jews. But interestingly, many Messianic congregations, are not that evangelistic. They emphasize more teaching and growing as believers and often don't do as much outreach. Um, The end of the article, I'm just gonna switch down, it says there are an estimated 400 Messianic Jewish congregations worldwide, that's probably a low number, with 10 to 15,000 Messianic Jews in Israel, that's pretty accurate, 15,000, some claim it's as high as 30,000, but probably 15, and about 200,000 in the United States. I don't know where she got that number it could be true, but not in messianic congregations. Maybe there are five or ten thousand in messianic congregations in America. The vast majority of Messianic Jews are in churches all over America. So just to to clarify that and set the record straight. So I appreciate the article, but there are a lot of factual errors. I, I'm sure well intended. In other words, I don't believe that there was an intent to mislead or give any wrong information or anything like that. My Jewish learning is a very, very good website, but sometimes people on the outside of a movement not familiar with terminology and, and things and can, can get things mixed up. so we're, we're hoping to be in touch with my Jewish learning or they'll be in touch with us, or again, a couple of us have reached out that I know of. So hopefully if they reach back out, we can just help because I, I believe they want to present things accurately, and the core thing that we are Jews who believe in Jesus and want all Jews to believe in Jesus. Yes, that is absolutely true. Yeshua, the one and only Messiah. Listen, he is the Savior of the world because he's the Messiah of Israel. Yeshua is the Savior of the world because he's the Messiah of Israel. We'll be right back.
2: Shake the- the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Ah, That's a new one. I was just waiting to hear when we got into the Hebrew there. Welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Thanks, team, for playing that Jewish music that reminds you of the day of the week. I I forget where I was. I think I was going in a Panera Bread or coming out or something, and it was a Friday, and someone said something to the person, and it was about a different day of the week. I thought, no, no, I know it's Friday because I know it's you've got questions, we've got answers. So I know it's Thursday. I travel and get confused with days, but I know it's Thursday because it's thoroughly Jewish Thursday. So welcome to the broadcast, 866- 348-7884 348-7884 is the number to call. Uh, if you are excited hearing testimonies of Jewish people coming to the Lord, last uh, week or two, just got a couple of notes about people coming to the Lord. Uh, one fellow said for 15 years he's been the only believer in his family and just led a cousin to the Lord and, and said that he used a lot of our resources to do it. When I was with uh, our, our good friend, Aton Barr, who leads One for Israel in, in, in Israel, the amazing work they're doing, he's talking about the thousands of calls they get, and even calls from Orthodox Jews inquiring, he said, hey, we, we use a lot of your material. So it's it's thrilling to hear. If you would like to help us reach more Jewish people with the gospel, would you consider making a year-end gift? Go to dot org. click on Donate. Your one-time tax-deductible gift will be a great help. Or you can become a monthly a monthly torchbearer. Click on monthly support. Find out all the different ways we pour back into you every month, our way of saying thank you to you. Hey, before I go back to your calls, a colleague in Israel sent me this article from a Likud representative. So this is like an Israeli congressman, Knesset Knesset. Uh, Uh, member near Barkat. So with the Likud party, that's Netanyahu's party. And it's from Israel Hayom. I'm not going to read all the article to you, but it says the first Iran war is just around the corner. And he said, the next war won't be a third Lebanon war. Iran plans to strike Israel from Lebanon, Syria, that's where they've got Hezbollah, Gaza, that's where they've got Hamas, Judea and Samaria. So so, dissidents within, uh, so Palestinian Muslims who are activists, dissident, terrorists, and internally with some Arab Israelis help, so those even with, within what everyone would recognize as the land of, of Israel, those that would be dissident. In other words, an uprising from the outside, from the inside, from all around. And he, and he says what America's doing now and trying to do the world, trying to negotiate, but you, can't, you can't do that with Iran, you can't do that with Iran. Yes, the people suffer because of the bad leadership. And when you put sanctions on them, the people suffer, but the goal is to get rid of the current regime. And I don't just mean the current leader, but the, the radical Islamic leadership. And, and that's for the people to push them out and vote them out. So he's in the States and is going to be meeting with everyone who can to, to wake people up. And you say, how do you pray? Say, God, your will be done in the Middle East, because there are all kinds of forces that want to bring about all types of catastrophic acts and bring about lots of suffering for everyone in the region. And Iran does have a certain end time mentality in believing in the revelation of the Mahdi. So kind of like the, the second coming or the first revelation of the, of the greatest of the Islamic guides and leaders who will bring in redemption and, and there'll be the final war and conflict. So just like some Christians kind of hold to this final generation and last conflict and Armageddon thing from one angle, they're, they're coming at it from another angle, except, They're ready to go to war for this and try to annihilate Israel. So these are real issues. These are real issues. How close are we? I don't know. We've heard the rumblings for years and years and years, and yet it hasn't happened. I think there's a certain level of restraint because Iran knows if they go further, there will be hell to pay. Israel will not respond passively, and America understands that. And I don't believe that America would be able to tell Israel, hey, just just kind of sit this one out and let us work diplomatically or fight for it. No, not in this case. I, I, I don't see that happening. And if Netanyahu was in there, it might, might be even more saber rattling to tell Iran, don't dare do this. But yes, Israel has done what, it's, what it can to stop Iran from getting a nuclear bomb through, through massive hacking that then set certain computer systems to then set things in motion that destroyed things physically. So the software then destroyed things physically or assassinating leaders. Israel has done this, assassinating leaders who have been working on nuclear bombs to destroy millions of Jews. Yes, Israel said that they may not shout it from the rooftop, but it's been known it was done. And and the last one would, would be right out of like a mission impossible type of movie, how it was carried out. But that's so Israel saying that we're we got to stop this wherever we can. Otherwise, millions of people could die in Iran, in Israel and the surrounding region. And they're seeking to prevent that. So pray God, your will be done. And let's all right. Let's try again to go to Andy in Chicago. There we go. Welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hello, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for taking my call. You bet. Um, first of all, uh, Really quickly, I just want to say thank you so much. Your previous caller mentioned the Book of Job, and I was looking at the copy of Compassionate Father for uh, or Consuming Fire that uh, you signed for me. And uh, it really means a lot. Uh, Seeing your signature in there helps connect me in a world that I feel so disconnected right now with. Um, It was really helping me through all this, and uh, God bless you. Thank you so much, brother.
1: Well, we are. are, Hey, you're part of a body, and you're part of a family. So whatever you're going through... You're you're more connected than you may feel, but whatever link we can provide, I'm I'm blessed to be able to. Thank you for sharing that.
0: Um, so my question today is, uh, you know, I have uh, a counter missionary in um, my family, mm-hmm. uh, and we were talking about uh, Psalm twenty-two, verse sixteen, mm-hmm. and um, the correct uh, translation in the English that I that I've read for dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircles me. Mm-hmm. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now, mm-hmm. he was showing me uh, that that it was mistranslated. Um, the word uh, pierced, as uh, it was translated, it was supposed to mean like a lion. And I think he used the word ka'ari. I don't mm-hmm. know how to speak Hebrew, but mm-hmm. if I'm even pronouncing that right. And uh, then he led me uh, to an email that he had received from Tovi Singer. Mm -hmm. and he was trying to tell me that was a complete mistranslation from the Christians. Now, I'm trying to talk with this guy, but he speaks Hebrew, and I don't, and I just felt lost in my... my
1: Yeah, we got you covered. We got you covered. This is a real easy one. This is really, really easy, okay? Uh, Number one, that verse, they pierce my hands and feet, is not quoted in the New Testament. That's the first thing. So the New Testament quotes Psalm 22... And it is a vivid portrayal of a righteous sufferer delivered from the jaws of death, and his deliverance is so great that it brings praise to God from the ends of the earth. Jesus fulfills that, right? It's not a prophecy. It's, it's a psalm of, of suffering, uh, of a righteous sufferer delivered from the jaws of death. Jesus brings it to fulfillment. And when you read the psalm, a lot of it does sound like a description of crucifixion, even aside from they pierce my hands and feet. That's the first thing. So the verse... Sure is not quoted in the New Testament. So the New Testament authors didn't get this wrong. That's number one. Number two, the oldest translation that we have of that is what's called the Septuagint. That's when Jewish scholars a couple hundred years before the time of Jesus translated it into Greek. Okay, so this is a Jewish translation. How did they translate it? They translated it, they pierced. Isn't that interesting? Then the earliest manuscripts we have of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So going back to a little before the time of Jesus and a little after the time of Jesus, but these are Jewish sectarian manuscripts, not Christian manuscripts, right? When it comes to Psalm 22, it doesn't say Ka'ari, it says Ka'aru, which would mean they dug through, they bore through. So the oldest Jewish translation says they pierced. The oldest Jewish manuscript says they pierced. Then what we have what he was reading from is what's called the Masoretic Textual Tradition or the Masoretic Text. That has thousands of manuscripts. There are about a dozen Hebrew Masoretic manuscripts. So these are rabbinic manuscripts that read karu or Ka'aru. So they read it differently. So this is not a Christian problem. This is a Jewish problem as to what it means. So that's the first thing. I'm going to tell you where I present all this clearly, and you don't have to worry about remembering all of it. Okay? Sure. Uh, so, yep. Thank So. Right, so that's the, that's the first thing. This is a Jewish question first, long before it was a Christian question. That's number one. Number two, let's say we take it just as the Hebrew says, which is literally like a lion, my hands and my feet. What does that mean? Like a lion, my hands and my feet. There's something missing. What does Rashi say? Rashi is the foremost... Biblical commentary for Jews, live from 1040 to 1105. So when you quote Rashi to a Jew, traditional Jew, that's like gold, okay? Rashi says, like a lion, they tore at my hands and feet. So in other words, he's saying there's a verb missing. Okay, that works for me. That's a good description of, of crucifixion. You get nails driven in your hands and feet. It's like a lion tearing at your hands. That, that's fine. In other words, there's a violent attack on the person's hands and feet. So even if it reads, kariya Glai which is what the vast majority of Masoretic manuscripts read, there's a verb missing. Like a lion, my hands and my feet. Like a lion what? Licking? Are they licking his hands and feet? Kissing his hands and feet? Right? So it's really not a big issue at all. It's, it's made into a big issue. But the Christians that translate it with they pierced said, like a lion doesn't seem to make sense. But we have this other tradition that says it means they pierced, they dug through, they bore through. That really fits the description of crucifixion well. So... If you go over to my YouTube channel, well tell you what, let's let's try this. If you go over to my website, all right, askdrbrown.org, uh, you will uh, if you search for Psalm 22, we'll see if that comes up. I'm just going to do a quick search now. But otherwise, on my YouTube channel Ask Dr. Brown, I have a 32 class series that's totally free where I deal with all the major objections of the counter-missionary rabbis, okay? So uh, on my YouTube channel, if, if we don't find it, here we go, here we go. So if you just go to AskDrBrown.org, right? AskDrBrown.org and click on Psalm 22 in the search engine, two things will come up. One, Dr. Brown refutes Rabbi Singer on Daniel 9 and Psalm 22, how's that, okay? And the other oh, uh, objections based on messianic prophecy, the Messiah and the Torah, Psalm 22 and Psalm 40. But the first one is a direct rebuttal to Rabbi Singer. He speaks this publicly, and we refute it. We put manuscripts up, we put pictures up for you to look at. So, ask drbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and then type in where it says "search Psalm 22," and you got it. All your answers right there. Thank you for the call. And friends, this is what we do.
2: It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome
1: to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Going to go back to your calls in a moment. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. You know what just really blessed me? Uh, the fact that we could send a caller who has questions to materials that we have online for free that anyone can access. Of course, you want to dig deeper, you get my five-volume series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, or our 22-hour Set on countering the counter missionaries, so you can always dig deeper. But it thrills me that we are able to provide resources for free to so many people because they take time to produce and and there's a lot that goes into getting them up and getting them out. We do it because of your generosity. So I I just want to thank you again, all of you who've given and supported us. It's through your generosity that we can do this. We just recorded three more videos, so this will bring what to a total of 12 now of specific videos countering counter missionaries on very, very specific points. We've done 12 now just dealing with Rabbi Tovia Singers because he's, he's probably got the most videos out on these things. What's interesting is I'm hearing from ex-Muslims and those doing Muslim ministry that our videos are being used to reach Muslims because the, the Muslim apologists, the Muslim missionaries are using many of the arguments of the rabbis and the counter missionaries that we've been refuting for decades. So they're coming up with these arguments to attack Christians and these Christians are saying, actually, we have all the answers already. They've already been provided. So thank you. Those that have stood with us, you're making a difference. And those that want to have the joy of doing it, go to the website, askdrbrown.org. Just reminding you daily as we come to the end of the year, that your gifts make a real difference. Askdrbrown.org. Just click on donate. It is true that sometimes as Jews, we can play the anti-Semitism card. You know, just, just like sometimes the racism card can be played when it's not really there, sometimes, you know, as a Jewish person, you perceive anti-Semitism when it's really not there. But there is no question that it continues to rise. It continues to rise in the world. It continues to rise in America. And often the dividing line is Israel. Like, well, if you're pro-Israel, then we're going to separate. Or your book can't come out in Israel, won't be translated into Hebrew or, or whatever. You're going to have to change this narrative because it's not pro-Palestinian enough. So, there's an article again sent to me by a colleague in Israel on the Washington Examiner, Publishers Against the People of the Book. It's by Melissa Langsam Brownstein. Publishers Against the People of the Book, Washington Examiner, December 2nd. So, check it out. Check it out and see for yourself if the anti Semitism card is being played or if the data is pointing at what it seems to be reality that there really is a pushback. And, you know, just the very first few lines uh, or where are we? Writing stars. Oh, okay. Hang on. Uh, The case of April Powers, black Jewish chief equity and inclusion officer for the society of children's book writers and illustrators uh, reacting to the spring stateside surge of anti-Semitism that coincided with Israel's war against Hamas Powers posted a statement opposing domestic anti-Semitism after being criticized by one SCPWI member for not including a comment about Islamophobia and Palestinian discrimination and hung out to dry by the organization. She departed. So black Jew simply speaking out about growing domestic anti-Semitism because she didn't say a pro-Palestinian, I'm against Islamophobia. Because of that, she's hung out to dry, she ends up resigning. Stuff is going on, friends. Let's not downplay it. Okay, with that, we go back to the phones, starting with Bob in Palm Beach, Florida. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
4: Actually, it's West Palm Beach, my friend.
1: (laughs) Hey, I'm just going by what's on my screen here. Go ahead.
4: No, no, I'm just... uh, Anyway, um, well, uh, I've known about you for quite some time. And uh, I'm very encouraged about the fact that, you have, uh, that you're have uh, that you very intelligent. You do your research. And uh, it's very impressive, and I'm thankful to God that there are people like you, apologists uh, that are willing to contend to the faith in whatever level you possibly can. I've listened to some of your broadcasts and some of your YouTube things, and um, I'm really thankful and grateful for your ministration. Um, I just wanted to call and, uh, hey, touch base with you in support, and also to let you know that uh, I've, I've known the Lord now for some 40 years. Uh, I'm from New York. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Westbury Hebrew Congregation. Um, West- no, Bur- no. Old Westbury, Long Island, New York. I was bar mitzvah there, but then later on in life, uh, I came on. I went on to know the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, giving my life over to him. And uh, I'm involved with a gathering down here in West Palm Beach. Now I get to the point. Um, There's a fellow that I've been ministering, or I've been speaking with, I should say. Uh, Most Jewish people, when you talk about Jesus Christ, uh, whether they be rabbis or strong Jews or whatever the case may be, uh, i got to be very careful. And even people in the messianic or messianic uh, world, uh, they prefer to call Jesus Christ Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Um, so i got to be very careful when I want to reach out to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, who is Jewish. I know an Orthodox Jew in Israel right now. And, you know, with the most experience that I've had uh, speaking or witnessing or speaking to Jews, uh, I have to be careful. And uh, and I look to be careful because uh, I'm looking for a place that I could I might plant some real seeds mm-hmm. of faith in somebody and uh it's it's funny by chance the last person you talked to on the telephone um you're talking about their uh the, the the religious Jews or uh a lot of Jews they go by different texts, so to speak like let me give you an example quickly yeah, well t- um, t- tell you what
1: th- let me let me just jump in only because the clock is ticking and we're almost at the end of the show. So uh, just, just a couple of thoughts in, in terms of, of our interaction with the Jewish community. So you know there's a big difference between a Reformed Jew and an ultra-Orthodox Jew, right? And, you know, a secular, liberal Jew and a very religious Jew. So there's completely different worldviews, completely different perspectives on God. I once debated a radical Reform rabbi, and after the first... 20 minutes back and forth, I got up and said, the difference between this rabbi and me is that I believe the Hebrew Bible is the word of God and he doesn't. And people gasped, how dare I would say that? And the rabbi yelled out, that's right. So he barely even believed in God. So you've got this broad spectrum, but your average Jewish person, if you talk about Yeshua, they don't know who you're talking about. Right. So. Right, and and
4: and I'm not being rude. The one last thing I wanted to tell yeah, you, and yeah. then you can go right on, yeah, is that I had quote I I had learned I've been fathered by the King James version uh, of uh, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it seems to though, and then I'll let you speak, but I'm just putting a bee in your bonnet. It seems like their wordology of their their Old Testament is different from the King James version. Go. Yeah.
1: well you're going to have any any christian translation is going to be different than a jewish translation just like there are differences within christian translations in other words certain verses you're going to read differently uh we may talk about righteousness in one place they may talk about merit uh we may understand something to be messianic they would not suit so, so any translation is going to vary but for the most part you're still reading the same thing. You, you sit down and read it together in English, whatever translation, you're gonna be reading for the most part, the same thing. But I, I would not, I would never say Christ because that just is a name to a Jewish person. Like Jewish friends of mine that are believers now once thought that Jesus was the son of Mr. and Mrs. Christ, that he didn't have any other concept of that. So Christ has no meaning. So I always say the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah. Talk about the Messiah and then say, you know, he's one of us. That's, that's all, he's one of us, uh, is, that that's that's part of our family. The one that all these Goyim, these Gentiles all around the world worship as God, uh, or, or, or there's one all around the world that, that has brought them to revere the God of Israel and read the Hebrew scriptures in, in, in English in their own translation, that's one of us as a Jew. That's the Jew Jesus, and in fact, it says in our Bibles that he's not coming back to Rome or Tulsa or he's, he's coming back to, to Jerusalem. And in fact, his own people, our people, the Jewish people have to to welcome him back. So he, he remains one of us and he's the Messiah. And the reason he's called Christ is because Christ means Messiah. Then from there you'd say, you know, his mother's name was Mary. No, it's Miriam. It's Miriam. You know, what his original name was, wasn't Jesus. It was Yeshua. And, you know, his followers, you know, St. John and Saint, you know who they really were? They, were? they were guys with names like Shimon and Yochanan and Yaakov. So you try to introduce these things. The best single book I've written to give to a Jewish person open to hear more is the real kosher Jesus. If, if you haven't had that since you expressed appreciation from the work earlier, I'd really encourage you to check that out, The Real Kosher Jesus, which I wrote in response to my friend Rabbi Shmuley's book, Kosher Jesus. Check that out. Uh, You'll find it enriching. And then that's a great book to give to a Jewish seeker because within their own world, within their own context of thinking and understanding, it will reveal the Messiah to them, Jesus Yeshua, who was a rabbi, not a reverend, and who went to synagogue not to church yes that's we introduce them to and through him being the messiah he becomes the savior of the world hey friends don't forget to get my emails if you don't get them ask a lot going on you'll know about you won't miss if you get them ask org. make sure you click to get my emails back with you tomorrow
0: another program powered by the truth network